theyeshiva.net. So we're coming close to the end of the Mimer, page 91, the second paragraph. It starts, Amnam, Amnam. Amnam, however, everything we spoke about, what's everything we spoke about? Everything said above, about the difference between living a real life, an authentic life, a life in which you are one with one, a life in which you are completely aligned with your truest self, a life in which you are a conduit for the flow of the energy, for the source of life, because you become one with it. In contrast to what you might call more of a fake life. There are those who are alive, and there are those who make believe they are alive. So everything we spoke about, about what he called chius atzmi and kiyum atzmi, intrinsic existence and intrinsic life, hudafke bigdusha. This is all a reflection of kedusha. This is what kedusha means. Why? Because kedusha has kedusha is defined, and it has by these two components. Bittel and Yichud. Bittel, of course, means shedding all of the external layers that impose or interfere and become the static and the barrier between you and your truest essence, which is the infinite manifestation of divine light. And even though we're not infinite, at least on some level... (laughs) We're infinite too, but we're also on some level not infinite. It's because the Ur of Hashem goes into a keli, which structures it and defines it. But even there, there is absolute unity with the infinity. That's the bitl, I shed the layers, the static, the thoughts, the feelings, the anxiety, the stress, the fears, the insecurity that arise from all types of experiences or perspectives. And what they all do, as we discussed in previous classes, is the same thing. They they create a mechitza. They become an interference. They create a partition between my truest self, which is the conduit of the divine I, of the divine infinity. And this is the real authentic definition of Kedusha. This is what the person who's living in a realm of Kedusha is living with. You're living with that oneness. Oneness in yourself. Oneness, of course, with Hashem, and therefore oneness with the world. And oneness with every person you come in contact with, and oneness with every experience and every encounter. You're tuning in to the heartbeat of oneness. That's the word. Tuning in to the heartbeat of oneness. So there's bittel and there's yichud. Bittel is mavatal, nullify, shedding the layers that interfere. And yichud is the oneness, the unity that comes as a result because you are in a state of yichud and bittel. Kedusha is just removing the static and the externalities and the superficiality, which could be not so superficial, it could, it could seem very deep, that interferes. Now let's go to the other side. And we call it the other side, le'umazeh, like the Pasuk says in Kehelas, zeh, le'umazeh, aselikim. Everything has a bal- everything has a counterforce in this world. Zeh, le'umazeh. Things parallel each other. Baruch atah adinai aleheinu malachelam shakhel niyabidvare. Mashenkin bil'umazeh, in le'umazeh on the other side, harei av sh'yesh bam gamkin chiyus aliki. They also have divine energy. What do you mean Kedusha has Yichud and Bittl? Klip also has divine energy. Because if not, they couldn't exist. Even the perception that the world is completely divorced of God, and the perception that we're not a manifestation of infinity, and the perception that I am completely lonely and on my own, and the perception that this is about survival of the fittest, and the perception that my trauma defines me. 
even after all of that, everything that exists is because there's a divine life in it. He says that's true, but Mikal Makaim nonetheless, Mikal Makaim means, despite all of this, Mikal Makaim, which means from any place, like despite this, because the definition of clip is that it's not bottled telekos, it does not shed the layers that cover up the truth of reality. If it would shed the layers, would we call it klipa? <laughs> klipa means that it has layers. That's what a klipa, what's a klipa? A klipa means there's a layer, a shell, a husk, a cover-up. It has the layers. So in other words, that in the world of klipa itself, even though it also lives off divine energy, which means that ultimately you can excavate. Sometimes you can excavate. I say sometimes because you have to be, uh, you have to know your limits with this as well. You don't want to get stuck. But sometimes you can excavate and find the divine purpose ultimately in the klipa also. For example, it may be teaching you something extraordinary about yourself. It may be pointing what your mission is. It may be bringing you to a very deep place of awareness, to a very deep place of empathy, of compassion. But in a revealed conscious way, what's the message of Klippe? It covers up. It's not batalelikus. What does it mean it's not bat It does not align itself. It's not the refrigerator. I'm going to go back to my refrigerator. It's not the refrigerator plugged in and therefore becoming a conduit in a very conscious, revealed way of divine electricity. Now the truth is it is plugged in. This is where the metaphor falls short. The refrigerator I can unplug. Here, if you unplug the refrigerator, you don't only not have cold food or fresh food, you don't have a refrigerator. <laughs> you don't have a refrigerator. The only source of life is Hashem Elikim Emes. Like we learned yesterday in Rambam. The amazing first chapter of the Rambam in Mishnah Torah, Hilchis, he said, Aleph, where he describes over there that the Navi says, Hashem Elikim Emes, like we learned earlier in the Maimer. Hashem Alekim Emes. There's no Emes in the world outside of Hashem. There could be a lot of things in the world, but the only Emes that exists in the world is the Emes of reality is only Hashem. There's no Emes in the world that's outside of the divine. I, what do you mean? There's so many stuff in the world. The Emes of it, the truth of it, is always the Elikos of it. That's the Emes of it. You have parts of it that are not Emes, the delusions. And the truth is, the fact that there are delusions also comes from Hashem's emes. Because every nekuda needs an emes to it. The famous expression of Chazal, leg, sheker ein leiraglayim. Even Rashi brings in shlach, that even the greatest lie, it needs a kernel of truth in it to sustain it. We all know the great liars know you have to throw in an emes. Rashi says that's why the spies, the miraglim, they had to put in some truth. Rashi says this in Parsha Shlach. Because a lie in its own can't stand. Where does this come from? Where does this come from? There was the big Tzair HaYehudim, the arch enemy, one of the greatest, uh, or the greatest evil man in history, said, I don't want to quote him now in the morning, so early in the morning, but he said that uh, uh, you tell people a small lie, they won't believe you. You tell them a, a, a big lie, <laughs> a crazy lie, they'll believe you. <laughs> They'll believe you, because how could you say such a lie? That could come from Tachlis HaKlippa, because it's it's the biggest lie in the world. And still, and still, Epis and Emes, there has to be there. Some truth, distorted, manipulated, exaggerated, dramatized, used in your own for your own benefits, in your own lies, but something is there. What's the Nekuda of this? The Nekuda of this is, spiritually speaking, because everything has to have a chiyoseliki. In other words, everything has to have an emes. If there's no emes in it, it couldn't be. Even the delusion couldn't be. This is a very, very important idea. So therefore, it comes out in our world that even the greatest lie, it needs some truth, and that's the truth that's actually responsible for it. That's the truth that gives legitimacy and life and authenticity, so-called authenticity, to the rest of the lie. So even Klippa has a chiyas But what's missing, what's missing is the bitl of elek, the bitl telekos. 
in a person, my own life, when I'm experiencing all that pressure, all that anxiety, all that stress, all that fear, all that trauma, all that insecurity, all that greed, all that selfishness, all that envy, all that frustration, all that depression and melancholy, whatever the message is, it's early in the morning, so I don't want to put in so many messages into your head. The Alter Rebbe has a maimed that early in the morning, naturally, a person is happy because you're in touch with your essence. And then later, the ego starts growing. He says, but then early in the morning, a person wakes up without any other cheshbonus. You're naturally happy. That's the Maimah from the Balatanya. We have to learn it one day. This is all before in Liyajna, where he lived, there were, no, there were no iPhones. For whatever reason, the iPhones didn't arrive there. So he, by him, waking up in the morning, was you wake up in the morning, you say, you wash your hands, you get out of bed. <laughs> Today, waking up in the morning means checking your emails and your text and your WhatsApps. I don't know if that principle of the Alter Rebbe is so applicable. But when a person is in touch with this bitl, it's a whole different life. But Klippa is not in touch with this bitl. Klippa doesn't shed all these layers. Klippa stays, it remains in the anxiety, remains in the stress, it remains in the negativity, remains in the toxicity. I, the toxicity itself, is coming from somewhere. And by the way, here you see the principles that later would become so popular in psychoanalysis that every thought has a source. And when you go down to the ultimate source, you may find gems of wisdom. And you may also find beautiful gems. Spiritually speaking, we're learning here that every klippa has a chiyus aliki. But the clipper doesn't identify with it. On the contrary, it's alienated from it. So my stress and anxiety itself are being animated by the energy of the Rebbeinu Shalom. However, the tragic thing is, instead of opening myself up to that energy and allowing myself to become a conduit, what happens? I use that energy itself to block that energy for myself. So now I am just in a very different space in a space of separateness, in a space of complete control, in a space of anxious, of, of, anxious, of anxiety, of, anxious, of being anxious. So therefore, what happens? So he says, Adirab, not only are they not bottle, mela, you're not bottle, <laughs> the halbets are, but menagdim lalakos, they even, they even oppose the divine oneness. So therefore, they could never be intrinsically alive. The divine energy, which divine energy is alive, it's the source of life, it cannot affect them that they should assume this state of reality where they become intrinsically alive. They're always ultimately, consciously or subconsciously experiencing the void of life. They're experiencing the pain of not being alive. They need the numbness in order to avoid this deep cavity, this deep emptiness that comes from the fact that I think I exist, I crave to exist, but I don't really exist. My existence is always a borrowed existence. It's always a show. It's always fake. It's always theater. It's theatrical. It's not real. It's not authentic. The clothes have no emperor. And if you remove the clothes, which is called klippa, what are you going to be left with? Nothingness. If you take the needle and you puncture me all the way to the quarry, what are you going to find? You're going to find death. That's the greatest fear of klippa. That's the greatest anxiety of klippa. And this anxiety does not leave it. It's incessant. And because of that, it will do anything to get a drink. It's like that alcoholic who will do anything to get a drink. Or it's like the heroin addict who will do anything to sh- shoot himself, to, to, to take a shot. Sadly, anything. He'll sell his car. He'll sell his house. He'll sell his clothes. He'll sell his family. He'll sell himself. He'll sell his God. Why? In this moment, there's nothing else. There's just the need for this stimuli for this stimuler, for this stimulator, who will help me survive, who will give me the, 
the oxygen I need. There's absolutely nothing else. It's like when a person is angry, you know, when you're overtaken by anger, there's nothing else. At this moment, everything else shuts down. It's like the whole system shuts down. Because I am now abducted by this very powerful force and there's literally nothing else. Klippa, therefore, has this experience, this obsession that it needs chiyos. And it will do anything, like we learned before, why the Yetzirah is so obsessed to make a person sin. You remember earlier in the Mimer a few classes ago. It's all one akuda. It's not, there's no kiyum atzmi. There's no essential life. When you shed all the layers, there's no essential life. I am not one with the source of life. And that's why it's also a source of misery. It's a source of agony. And I always need another distraction in order to be able to take me away from that pain and from that agony and be able to feel that I am alive. Anything to make me feel that I'm alive. Like I read yesterday the letter from uh, one of the participants in our class. Even if it's short-lived, even though I know it's short-lived, but so what? For 10 minutes, my taste buds will feel that they're alive. For 10 minutes, my heart will supposedly be smiling. For 10 minutes, the chemicals in my brain will be unleashed, those chemicals that can give me some feeling of joy. What is it all based on? There's no kiyum atzmi. There's no essential life. There's no intrinsic existence. The mitzad heder habitl shalam but you're telling me that God is animating them, so they are alive. He says, but because they're not bottle, they have no relationship with godly energy. That's the difference. Of course they have godly energy, but they have no relationship with it. In the language of the Maimer, the makif. What does makif mean? Makif, we learned many times, literally means there's makif and there's pnimi, right? Makif is, it encompasses. The word literally means it surrounds, and pnimi means it goes inside. Pnimi is, it's internalized. What is, but this is code language. What does makif mean? Makif doesn't mean that the godly energy is going around and around, making hakafis around you. <coughs> the, the sun rotating around the earth, or the earth rotating around the sun, different perspectives. But makif means that something could be inside of you, but you're not aware of it. You don't have a relationship with it. It's impacting you, but you're not aware of the impact, and therefore you're not open to it. You're not aligned with it. There's chiyas aliki in klipa, but it's a makif dekechiyas. Makif dekechiyas means it does not have a relationship with the substance, with the self-conscious awareness of the clipper. In terms, if you would ask, if you would interview the clipper and you would ask him, who are you? His answer is not, or her answer, clipper's Lashon Akeva, her answer is not, who am I? I'm a conduit for divine infinity. Who am I? I'm an ambassador of love, light, hope, healing, truth, truth, wisdom, compassion, authenticity, redemption. That's who I am. Who am I? Everything, my whole energy, my brain, my nerve cells, my neurons, all of my cells, my entire organism, my mind, my body, my soul, my brain are all conduits for the divine energy that flows through it every single moment. And I am a manifestation of God's light and every one of us is a unique manifestation of their unique divine light which is filtered through their unique vessel. You have your Ur and your Kali which is all kayam bekiyum atzmi. But klipa doesn't identify itself that way. It looks, therefore, for substitutes. It lives in a different place. That place could be anxiety, that place could be pleasure, that place could be arrogance, that place could be insecurity, that place could be greed, envy, depression, or whatever it is. Everyone according to their space and their their challenges and their issues at that moment. And... The common denominator is there is a lakus, but it's makif. Makif, again, remember the word makif. Makif means it's inside of you, but it's above you. Above you means it doesn't become part of who I am. It doesn't become part of the description of my resume. When you ask Kedusha to write a resume, a CV, a curriculum, what's the CV of Kedusha? CV of Kedusha is Einoid Malvada. The CV of Klippa is, I'm alone in the world. 
If I'm alone in the world, it's a survival battle. If it's a survival battle, you gotta fight hard. Or you gotta surrender hard. You gotta live, you gotta die hard. <laughs> so therefore, Kedusha, even though there's a Chiyusaliki, it's Makif. It doesn't describe it in terms of its own definition. And therefore, I'll say, what do you mean? They have a consciousness. Klippa has a consciousness. It has a way of describing itself. That's also animated by God. So that is Pnimi, he says, that's true, but it's an exile. The divine energy that is revealed is makif. It's above their consciousness. And the divine energy that is manifested in them and fueling them, it constitutes the battery, the engine of their chemistry. That's in Gullus, that's in exile. Meaning, it's completely suppressed and exiled and subjugated. Like when somebody is in exile, they don't have the freedom to flex their muscles. They can't say what they want. They can't do what they want. They can't express themselves the way they wish. They can't go where they want. They're in exile, meaning they are at the mercy of the captors, of those who abducted them. So this is the tragedy of Klippa. Its whole life is really godliness, and yet its whole life it's busy denying who it really is. <laughs> do you know that tragedy? My whole life, this is really who I am, but my whole life I'm busy running away from that, and because I'm running away from that, I'm running away from my ultimate truth, my ultimate destiny, my ultimate core, and my ultimate source of life. I'm living in this strange identity, but somehow it makes sense. In the world of Klippa, it makes sense, because this is what it is. So the Chiyosalaki is there. One is Makif, which means it's completely not conscious, and that which is manifested in the consciousness of Eclipse is completely in exile, which means it's divine energy being manipulated, allowing itself to be manipulated and abducted by the Eclipse to do its own thing. Mashenkin Bigdusha. What's the definition of Kedusha? We usually translate Kedusha as holiness, but as I said yesterday, Kedusha is not just holiness versus unholiness. We have to understand what holiness means. We learn a Sefer is holy, a Siddha is holy, a Shul is holy, Shabbos is holy, Yom Tev is holy. What makes it holy? Holiness means you're in touch with a certain dimension of life and a certain dimension of yourself. By Kedusha, not only is the divine energy of Kedusha not an exile, furthermore, it's not even bread of shame. There's an expression in Yerushalmi Arla, called Nama de Chisufa. Nama means bread, Chisufa means shame. Bread of shame is the metaphor that our sages used when describing free lunch. When I give you something that you completely did not deserve or earn, at some point it becomes humiliating and embarrassing. As the Mishnah says in Baba Metziah, Lamed Ches, I think, Adam It's a fascinating Mishnah. Let's say, you give me a deposit of grain. A certain quantity of grain, you're going away, and you want me to keep it in my silo or my storage house, my cellar. So I take your grain. The problem is, after a while, there is the elements of decomposition, which causes the grain to diminish. So the question is, do you sell it and buy new and, and give the person the money? So the Mishnah says, A person wants his own, he wants his one pound of grain, more than nine pounds of his friend, because it's his own. Since he's the farmer, he planted the grain, and he nurtured it, and he harvested it, and he winnowed it, and he threshed it, etc. It's his. And even though it's going to end up to be much less in quantity, then what he buys by his friend, but Adam writes a bekav shaloi, it's his, it's your own. And there's something called your own that's just your own. It's what socialists didn't know, it's what socialists and communists didn't understand. This is not a bad thing. It's part of the fabric of human nature that the creator embedded into our, into our genetic code. Adam writes a bekav shaloi. There's something about Nama de Chisufa, bread of shame, that I loathe. I'm ashamed about it. When I'm in touch with myself, I'm ashamed about it. Of course, we all like getting, you know, many of us like getting gifts, and it's one of the five languages of love. And you should give your loved ones gifts. It's an amazing thing and a great way of attachment, especially for certain individuals for whom this is their 
love language in the vocabulary of recent years. But as a lifestyle, it's something called bread of shame. Bread of shame means everything I have is free. I did not do anything for it. So the Rebbe says, not only is Kedusha, not only is Kedusha, the the Chiyos Eliki is not an exile, it's not even with bread of shame, which is Er Shanim Shech the God's light with God without work. Because there's Avoida involved. Kedusha did something to generate this consciousness. Kedusha did something to be in touch with it. There is Avoida, it's not even bread of shame, it's not like, Kedusha in our world is just, you know, God reveals himself and you're holy. That's not how it works. I have to dig. I have to work through this stuff. I got to excavate the anxiety. And I have to excavate the stress. And I have to excavate the fear and all the issues. And I have to find the depth. And I have to shed those layers. And there's avoid every single day. Because at any point of the day, I know with myself, and probably some of you can relate to this, all these thoughts come right back in. And you need Avaida once again. And sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes you struggle and you struggle and you struggle. And it's not easy. It, it doesn't stop. The clipper wants to take over. It wants you to be in its zone. Remember, for it, it's oxygen. If it has a person, Shoifech dama adam bit adam. Always looking for your blood. <laughs> Always looking for your energy, for your mental space. This is Avoida. So not only does Kedusha have the Oyr, it's also through Avoida, through the Avoida of Bittl. Bittl, shedding the layers. When it comes to the other side, Klippa represents that which is antithetical to his will. How could Klippa be antithetical to his will when it's being animated by his will? Because the energy is in exile. And when I'm in exile, I may be serving my captor against my will. So this sums up the question why the Sahara is so obsessed to make you sin. Because their entire energy they receive through your, through my mistakes, through my sins. When a Jew does an Aveira, what's an Aveira? Maivir mirishus lirishus. I go over from one domain to another domain. I take my chius, which is a lakus, and I bring it over to the realm of Klippa, shoifich dam adam. I spill the blood of the Adam of Kedusha. This is where Klippa suddenly feels that it's alive. And that's why, by the way, as it says in Tanya, Igeris Hachuva, Pedek, what is it? I think Pedek Vav. He says, and that's why, Noitel Chelek Beroish. The sinner is going to get the first portion of the birthday cake. He's going to get the first steak that comes off the barbecue. The clipper knows that you are the chief provider. And therefore, for the time being, you're going to be treated amazingly. <laughs> you're going to be treated amazingly because he knows he wants... You know, like in Las Vegas, when you go to gamble and they identify that here is a good guy to invest in, right? They have limousines bringing you to your hotel, suddenly they're paying for your hotel room, suddenly there's wine coming to your room, suddenly in the middle of the year you get a free ticket to come to Nevada, why? And you suddenly feel like, uh, you know that they do this. Some chevreshid of their experience. I lure you in, it's only one reason, because you're a shmata, because you don't own yourself, because they own you. Of course, if they treat you nicely, you'll be coming there and giving them their money. What happens when you lose all your money and you go broke? No limousines will show up in your home anymore. No free tickets to Las Vegas. Now they don't need you anymore. They're bloodsuckers. They're piafkes. In Yiddish, you know what a piafke is? Ripsalm de Vesvas, a piafke is. A bloodsucker. I suck and suck and suck your blood. That's the nakud of this maimer. I want your blood. I'm not alive. I need you for my life. Now you're, you think that Klippa is giving you life. You're giving Klippa life. This is the very fascinating paradox. We think Klippa is giving us life because it's a fast, you know, it's a fast high. We're giving it life. They want us more than we, as much as we want it. I want the Klippa. 
Why do I want the klipa? Because there's something very tempting about it. There's something very easy about it. There's something very fast about it. There's something very superficial about it. It doesn't need avoida. It doesn't need bittel. <laughs> there's something very geschmack superficially about it. So I run to it. Really, it runs to me. And that shidduch becomes lethal. I think I want it because it's easy. It wants me and it'll do anything to get me and therefore it makes it so tempting and so geschmack and so delicious because I myself would not find it so delicious. But the clipper makes it, what do they say? It makes you an offer that you can't refuse. And then before I know it, I'm giving them all my money and my blood and my mental space and my energy. And when I say them, I don't mean them out there in Las Vegas. I'm just giving a metaphor. The them could be inside of me. But Klippe is a reality. It's a substitute for the real reality of Kedush of Eino Edmovad. So therefore, the Maisachet is what feeds them. This is their blood. The more I sin, the more blood they have, the more energy they have. That's very exciting. But at some point, you're left cold and dry. As they say, you're left out. To, they leave you out to hang dry. Why? I took you. Once I take the blood, I don't need you anymore. Now you're a shmat. I never needed you. I never liked you. I needed you. I needed you for what you have, for the cash. The moment I depleted you, we don't need you. We go to the next. Once you're poverty stricken, once you got nothing left, Clip is not excited anymore. That's what you see also with addicts constantly. In the beginning, you know, there's this... Uh, this drive, this addiction, you're even using your imagination, your creativity, and then at some point, they took everything out of you. Now your brain is fried, you're a dead man walking, there's nothing left. Your blood was spilled. But I don't want to make this only about these, you know, grand addicts, because most of us say that's not me, even though we have some of those too. But let's not uh, divorce this from the regular human experience, even those of us who don't, gamble in Las Vegas, and those of us who are not alcoholics, Baruch Hashem, and those of us who are not uh, other types of addicts. But we all have our addictions. We all have our obsessions. We all have our fears. We all have our sources of anxiety. And we all have our clippers in which we run away to. And I have to be able to identify it and know how much the clipper wants that Aveda. Because the moment I go there, he could feel that he's alive. Now, I want to point out one very important thing. If you notice that this Maimer talks a lot about Avedas, it talks a lot about Klippa, <laughs> right? <laughs> not, not, no kidding, right? It talks a lot about Shvichis Domim. It talks a lot about going from the domain of Kedusha into the domain of opposite of Kedusha. It talks a lot about the Sahara. But you see the language in which it talks about all these things. And this is important to identify the distinction between the language of Musr, classic Musr, and the language of Chsidis, of Teres of Hashem When you learn this Maimer, you, 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 you appreciate, at least somewhat, the difference of a mitzvah and an Aveda, the difference of Kedusha and non-Kedusha. But look how the messages are being conveyed. One derech of conveying it, which was a derech in Yiddishkeit, and you had great G'dayli Yisrael, that taught this way. There's a lot of, lot of rebuke. That's the word Musa. Musa means rebuke. And there's a big focus on punishments and a big focus on the evil and the negativity and the consequences. That's the derech of Musa. And a tremendous focus on the disgusting elements. And Musa itself, there's a lot of different branches and different bate medrashim different Bali Musa and how they communicated and how they spoke. But there's a certain common denominator in all the branches of Musa, which makes them Musa. In Chsidis, you have the Smaimer. It also brings out very strongly, maybe stronger than in any other source, the toxicity of an Aveda. But look at the context of how it's brought out. The big focus of the Baal Shem Tev and his students and the Balatanya and his students, etc., all the way to our generation, was always to bring out the Einoid Mulvade of the world. In other words, we don't focus on the Klippa. We focus on that Klippa is concealing the truth of Einoid Mulvade. So the focus is not 
you're so bad and you have degraded yourself and you're like a behemoth and you're worse like a, than a behemoth. You're irresponsible. You're lazy. You have become a hefke young. You allowed your brute base instincts to take you over and the results of that are catastrophic. N- not even another approach. There was another approach in Musr to talk about the potential of man. Slabotke, godless ha'adam. You have different branches of Musa. You had Navardik and Musa. You have Musa from Kelem, the Alta from Kelem. You have the Alta from Slabotka. Ultimately, Rabbi Saul Salanta was the founder of Musa. But I'm talking about even Musa from previous generations. From the Achirainim, from Rishonim Gar. You have Sifri Musa. Many of you learned Shari Tshuva, Rabbi Nuyayna, Archis Sadikim. Of course, Masilis Yisharim from the Ramchal, Rabbi Nomosh Chaim Lutzato, who passed away in the 1740s from a pandemic in Tiberias, in Tveria. He and his whole family, Rabchal, Rabbeinu Moshe Chama, wrote many from called Masil Yisharim. You have, of course, the classic, one of the oldest, Chayvah Salavovus, Rabbeinu Bechai Eben So generally, and many other Muslims, especially in later generations, Rabbi Saul Salanta and his students, are Yisrael and all of his students. So some of them, focused a lot on the negativity of the Ra, on the shchises, the fardarbrinkai, the corruption of bad midas and so forth. Others focused on godless ha'adam. You're a mensch, you have a tsuras adam. Reb Moshe Shapiro, Zechrena Levrach of Merit Yisrael, would always talk about tsuras adam. There's the tsura from a mensch. Be a mensch koktois, tsuras adam. He once told me, We were sitting by Malava Malka. It was a few months before he passed away. Here in Muncie, he came for treatments to New York. So it was a Malava Malka. It was right before Rosh Hashanah. He passed away that year. Reb Moshe Shapiro. From Yisrael, one of the G'dayli, Bali HaMachshave in the Litvisha world. He was a big Isaac in Kabbalah, Machshave, Maral, Degra, Reb Tzadik. And he was a big gone. So, uh, so somebody mentioned, that the Malava Malka, somebody mentioned the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya. So Reb Moshe said, Reb Moshe said, I was there, I heard this from his mouth. He said, ah, if he was only alive, yeah. So he said, ich wollt in, in Shuk, I would strip all my clothes in the market, or nachgelaf in them. <laughs> and I would run after him. In other words, whatever it would take, even if I would be denigrated and embarrassed. So I said, Favos, so he looked at me with two eyes, like perplexed by the question. He says, Favos, Kibakukav Zain build. Take a look at the picture of the Balatanya, the painting. It's not a picture, the painting of the Balatanya. By the way, that painting was made when he was in prison. So I played dumb. I said, build. What do you see? What do you see in the picture? Like that's that's, you know, inspiring such a uh, sense of surrender and selflessness. And, and Reb Moshe Shabir wasn't a chassid. He wasn't a Chabad chassid. He wasn't a chassid. He came from the aristocracy of the of the Lithuanian world. He was a Talmud of Reb Eliyahu Desla, the Micht of Melio. He was a student of Reb Yitzchak Hutner from Slabotka, the Pachad Yitzchak. His father, he told me then, learned by the Alta from Slabotka in the Chevron Yeshiva in the 1920s. He wasn't from the... School of Chsidis. So he, I said, what do you see in the painting? I wanted to know what he, It's not like, you know, this is your culture, this is the party line, this is what your father told you. So he says, he gives a scream, he says, Was zeich? Was zeich? Ich zeh a mensch! Ich zeh a tzuras odom! Ich zeh a mensch! Ich zeh a tzuras odom! I see the tzur of a person. Ich zeh a tzuras odom! It's a very beautiful way of saying it. In other words, this shoifich dama adam ba'adam dama yishafich. This spilling the blood of an adam into another adam, into a behemah. Shoifich dama adam, maybe even worse. A behemah is following God's symphony. Chet is a behemah doesn't sin. Like the Gemara says in Sanhedrin, it brought in Tanya, Chavdalet. I see a tzuras adam. So that's a big focus, tzuras adam. You know, be an adam, be, be a full adam. In Chassidus, we have very strong messages here about the contrast of Klippa and Gdusha. 
But what, what is it in a context of? The context is always Einoid Mulvad. The context, the context is that the divine is oneness. And one every moment can live in oneness because that's where they're really living. So an Aveir Eklipa, it's not just a betrayal of what God wants, obviously that. It's not just the consequences are going to be horrible and the punishments are horrible and the, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's false and it's a lie. And it's not even you're betraying your potential. All that is true. The focus here is the Achdus Hashem. The oneness of Elikus, the emes of infinity that vibrates through every single cell and every single molecule and every single atom and every single subatomic particle. What vibrates through it is Einoid Mulvade, the harmony of oneness. Through the smallest thing in the world and the biggest. And they're all ultimately one. And Kedusha means being aligned with that. And Klippa means going out of that uni- ec- unity, extricating myself from that unity, going into a world that doesn't really exist. And when you go into a world that doesn't really exist, it's very painful because you have to make believe it exists. Because I want to live. And when I have to make believe that something exists, when it doesn't exist, it's very painful. <laughs> First of all, it takes so much energy. I have to exert myself so much. It takes so much mental space. Because when I'm living in a world that doesn't exist, but I have to convince myself that it exists, oy va voy, oy va voy. You know how much binging that takes? <laughs> That's the secret of all addiction. That's the secret of Tavis. I'm trying to make a world that doesn't really exist, exist. That's very tough. That's very hard. And somehow the game works. And then they see the Jew, the non-Jew, the anti-Semite sees the Jew, and the Jew exposes that game just by the nature of him being a Jew. So there's a lot of hatred there. This goes back to what we discussed yesterday about mitzi'use me'atzmuse in Hashem Yisrael, hafle v'fela. Kedusha, I don't have to make believe anything. I don't have to go live in a world that doesn't really exist and make believe it exists. <laughs> I don't have to make believe. It exists. I just have to become part of the flow. Now it's so funny, it sounds so easy, and yet Klippa makes it hard. Really, Kedusha is the easiest thing. Bittel is natural. Bittel is, is hard. No, Yeshus is hard. Yeshus is carrying the unbearable burden that I have to exist. Oy, 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 you have to exist. Oh my God, that's hard. You have to make your own existence. Existentialism, version 2.0 of Klippa, existentialism. I have to turn my existence into something. In Kedusha, I don't have that burden. I don't have to exist. I'm a Chaya. <laughs> I can let God exist and become part of His existence. Paradoxically, then I could exist. Then I exist. Kiyumatsmi. Then I can exist. That's the chid, one of the big Kedushim here of this moment is when I let go of my existence, I can start existing. When I cease to exist, meaning when I allow myself to be a conduit for the infinity of Hashem, then paradoxically my existence becomes as real and as authentic and as deep and as eternal and as timeless and as substantial as can be, as Hashem Himself. My existence comes from my own reality, which Klippe could never say that. Your existence comes from your own reality. We only say that about Hashem Himself. His mitzias comes from His atzmos. Everything else in the world comes because someone wanted it to be here. I'm here today because my mother and father chose to bring me to the world. They are here today because their parents chose and their parents chose, etc. Whether it was a choice, whether it just happens that way, but the point is, somebody has to be the cause. The apple tree is here because of the seed that came from a previous apple tree. Everything in our world has an antecedent. It has an ilah, a cause. And that cause also has a cause, and also has a cause, and also has a until you go back to the first ultimate cause. Your reality doesn't come from yourself. You're not justified by your own existence. You're justified by another existence, and therefore there's always a vulnerability here. The Chiddush of this Maimir is 
that Oiris and Kalim and Hashemus Yisrael, because of the Bittel and because of the Yicho to the Ein Soif, as he put it earlier in the previous paragraph, that mitzad the bittel of the Jewish soul to Hashem's atzmos, chelki Hashem amra nafshi, the neshama of a Jew has a kiyum atzmi, because of it, because it sheds and it removes from itself the burden of existence. Paradoxically, it becomes the most real existence. Its mitzias now comes from its own atzmias which is the strongest form of existence. That the I becomes truly, truly alive. It's not living in a world which doesn't really exist. It's living in a place that really exists because it really, really exists. So Bittl makes life not just easier, but also powerful. It gives it a potency that is rooted in eternity and timelessness. They tell Amaisa that happened in the city of Lubavitch in Belarus, in the times of the Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Lubavitch Rebbe, Rebbe Shalom Daiv Ber. We learned a Maimer via Daita of his last year, or two years ago, or last year, via Daita Moskva. Moscow. You remember this, the Rebbe Rashab. It's now his 100th uh, anniversary of the yard site, 1920, 2020, Tov Passed away Bez Nissen in Rostov. I was actually supposed to go there. Uh, we sent out an email. Some Hevra were coming, but uh, then Karona, Corona emerged, and that was the end of that. So in any case, there was once a chazam for, for Yom Neirayim and Shul. And, uh, and after the, Yom, after the, the high, the high, the holy days, he asked the Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, how he enjoyed his cantorial melodies. <laughs> so, uh, the Rebbe says to him, it's fine, but it wasn't like the other Baltfila. It wasn't like the other Baltfila. The other person who davened up another year. I don't know if that person was uh, passed away or went somewhere else. So he says, uh, Favos, Favos. The Rebbe said, we, when he davened, he was a Shlich Tzibur, we could feel his, his Israkshus, his, his connection, his, his emotion. At Gevent, he cried. So he tells the Rebbe, I also wept. So the Rebbe said, that's true, he also wept. But it's interesting. The two of you wept in different places. Now this is going to be very deep, I'm telling you. You wept by the words, Adam Yesoide may offer v'saifer l'offer. You remember those words? That's the end of an Asana Taikif. A person comes from the earth. He goes back to the earth. He'll sacrifice his life to make another buck and get some bread. He's like a clay vessel that is broken. A withering blade of grass fleeting dust, and a fleeting dream. That's where you wept. Adam He says, the other one, he wept by the words, That's where he wept. May you reign alone over the whole world. And he was telling him something, the way I understand it, very profound. Adam, he said, the is true. <laughs> person comes from the earth and returns to the earth. But what do we say after that in the next paragraph? You know the mudrits in March. This is the march of Ein Kitzvah, of the Majid Sarebbe. So most people read it, a person goes to the earth, you're a fleeting dream, Oizge Klapto Eishayna, 
Va'ata, you God, you're Melech Kel Chavakam, you're the living king, you don't die in Kitzvilishnei Seche, in Kitzvilishnei Mecha. You're not gonna die, we're mortal, and you're immortal. But the last words of that period are, Ushmenu Karasa Bishmecha. Our name, you called out with your name. Adam, you say, the Meyafa Afar, if the Adam is on his own. You are eternal and I'm part of you. If I'm part of you, it's a whole different Adam. Adam Adam If Atu Melech and you're part of the Melech, you're not separate. Eved Melech Melech. The Gemara says in Shvuas, Memzayin, Eved Melech Melech, the servant of the king is the king. The Shliach represents the one who sends him. So you're part of the Melech Kel So you're also alive. Bekiyum Atzmi. You have an intrinsic life. Let me take some questions. Let's take some questions. And uh, 10 o'clock, we have a Shia Rambam. Hilchis Yisedia, Torah chapter 2. Yesterday we started chapter 1. If you haven't had a chance, try to do the replay. Um, and today we're going to continue Blineda with chapter 2 of Yisaidi Atayra, 10 o'clock a.m. That's very soon, that's an hour and a half. That's number one. Number two, the next year in Chassidus will be uh, Sunday morning. Sunday morning, 8 o'clock. Sunday morning, 8 o'clock, not 7.30, 8 o'clock. And then 10 o'clock Sunday morning, we'll also have our Rambam class. We're going to learn the next chapter. Let's uh, let's go to some questions. The first question: What's the connection of all of this to the parsha? The connection of all of the parsha is you remember running away. You have to the first shade of the Maimer, running away to the cities of refuge when you murder somebody, and the Medrash says that Adam Arisha when he ate from the Eitz Hadas, Hashem said you're going to die, but instead of dying, what happened? He expelled him from Gan Eden. And he went to the city of refuge. So the question of the Maimah was, what's the connection? Eating from the fruit is not killing somebody. And besides the fact he ate from the fruit willingly, not unwillingly. And you only get gullus if you did it unwillingly. So we already have the first answer now, that eating from the Eitz Adas is the source of all shedding blood. There's shedding blood physically and there's shedding the cosmic blood. That was the first Explanation, we still have to get to the other explanation, Blineder. We'll see soon at the end of the Mimer. The next year in the Mimer, you don't want to miss, <laughs> if I may say so, because the next part of the Mimer is going to, watch the wires, the next part of the Mimer is going to get down to the core of Klippa. <laughs> Since we haven't had enough, in Chsidis, especially in the Chsidis Chabad, there's always a layer and a deeper layer and a deeper and deeper layer. There's ultimately the great paradox, how can Klippa live? Where does it live from? Ultimately, we explain God is in Golos, and it's Makif, and it's not Pnimian. Alts and Geschmack. But what is really Klippa about? The real core of it, that's going to be the next part of the Maimed. Half of a fella has beer about the essence of Klippa. It's based on a, on a Sikha from Tayyar Shalom, from the Rebbe Rashab. Okay, that's going to be Bezer Hashem Sunday morning at 8 o'clock. So again, before I take questions, today at 10 we have our Shia Rambam. Sunday morning at 8 we're going to continue the Mimer. Sunday morning at 10 we will have our Rambam class. And Monday regular schedule, 7.30 and 10. Let's go to, uh, let's start with the chats. Okay, the chat says good morning. And I say to you back, good morning. Let's now go to the yeshiva.net and take the questions. In today's world and modern psychology, there's a lot of talk about staying positive and how to do it. Positive self-talk has become a popular way to help people stay positive. People are told that when negative events or mistakes happen, because they're bound to happen, you should have an internal dialogue. Positive self-talk isn't necessarily about knowing all the answers or thinking that you're amazing and great. It's about reframing how you view things, removing negative bias, approaching life with the idea that you can tackle things God gave us free choice and the ability to tackle things. He's with us all the time. And even if the positive self-talk doesn't go perfectly, we can learn from it for next time. It's interesting to me that these ideas and insights were around many years ago before modern psychology. 
specifically in these writings of the Hasidic works, in the Tanya the Alter Rebbe writes about them, he shows us tools to rid ourselves of negative emotions, not only in a spiritual way, but in a very practical way. The saying that comes to mind is, think good and it will be good, such a great example of positive self-talk. So we do have the tools of the Jewish tradition to transcend our fears, anxieties, and get to a state of bittel. We have to use them. We have to use them. But it's easier said, easier said and done. To experience bittel, I have to discard fears, anxieties, stresses, addictions, be aligned with God to live a true and meaningful life. Beautiful. Remember and internalize that each of us is part of God. He is part of us. This is the ultimate goal. It's easier to do if we can learn how to get there. For others, it's so difficult and challenging. Somebody recommended yesterday staying positive, but it's easier for some than others. Reb Aaron suggested jumping in the lake. Good idea. I'm thinking of doing that. <laughs> Reb Aaron, you see? I'm thinking of doing that. Um, somebody else suggested in one of the, in one of the comments asking God what he wants me to do today. This is a great beginning for every single day. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay. What we're learning here is that clip is a double-edged sword. It can bring you up to the highest places. We can't even imagine how high. Yes. And God forbid, it can bring you down to the lowest of the abyss. Are we understanding that this is the good life and the ultimate work of Kedusha? Is the pain in this work well worth it? Well, the point is that when we live in the world of Klippa, it will give us a high because it it wants to suck my blood. I'm telling you, it's the Las Vegas gambler. I will give you free tickets. I will give you a private plane and bring you from your house in Muncie to Las Vegas direct. Why? Posh it. It's worth it for me to spend the $35,000 or the $40,000 on the private journey knowing that I'm going to get from you $500,000. Was Artmir? This is what investors do all the time. So I will give you a life of luxury and highs. I'll give you highs non-end. And that's where I get your blood. But at the end, I'm really a shmata because there's no caring for you. It's just the clipper wants to feed itself. It's the ultimate narcissism. And that's what the person has to know. That living a life of Kedusha means living in a place of truth, of compassion for yourself and for others. It's a place of MS, of authenticity. I understand you spoke about two streams in Judaism, Musa versus Chassidus. Are they in disagreement? Does each, each perspective thinks that they got it right? And I'm upset about this. Everybody thinks they're 100% right. I get upset with fear and punishment approach. And yet those there are those who truly believe it. And they get upset with me for the love approach. How can we reconcile? We're all Jews, aren't we? <laughs> and these differences continue to cause major rifts. It's a, uh, it's, it's, it's a very good point, but there's really no rift here. Elu ve'elu divrei kim chayim. Torah is very diversified. And there's a lot of approaches in different areas. And there were great G'dayli Yisrael, holy Jews, who practiced and, and taught this way of Musr. The Baal Shem Tev felt that in our generations, the approach of Chassidus will be far more effective. And I think we can all attest to that, that if I could speak to a group of teenagers, or young adults, girls or boys, whatever it is, and I could give them a message and tell them that if they don't do this, they don't do this, they don't do this, there's going to be a lot of punishment. Or... I can give them a message of how divine they are and how holy they are. Which one do you think is going to be more effective? So from my experience over the years, and I think I've had some level of some significant experience in terms of communicating with people individually and collectively, I see, at least in our generations, it's a completely different world. In the sense of this approach and that approach is a completely different universe. In one, I maybe will get a few people, but I think I would lose the majority of people. And even those that I get, it could be very superficial. And others, the other approach, I think, the approach of the Balshemtiv is far more penetrating and far more effective. It's also far more positive. And I think it also touches a deeper layer of reality. Because it doesn't only talk about you do this and there's a consequence. It really talks about the essential picture of Yiddishkeit. 
So that's why I think in terms of communication, it's far more effective. But there is another approach. And for some people, perhaps, it's very, very powerful. And there's no need to disrespect. It's one God and one Torah. There's different streams. And that's fine. I think that Chassidus reveals the Pnimius of Musar also. So not only don't I see it as a competition, I see it really... Ultimately, not even as two streams. It may be two streams in the manifestation, but ultimately it's one Torah. In other words, if you want to get down to the core, core, core of Musa, you'll have to go to Chesidus, to Torah of Hashem That's how I see it. Chavre, Zayd Gizunt, and have a beautiful, beautiful day, and an inspiring day. We'll see you soon, 10 o'clock. Zayd Gizunt, Afrelich and Shabbos, Agutin Shabbos, Alichtik and Shabbos. I get in of Shabbos, I get us in Eretz Yisrael. Seid gesund, I get us in Eretz Yisrael. Alle sollen sein gesund und stark. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.